0: Dr. Rob Reimer is a pastor, uh, an author, some of you have read his book, Soul Care, and uh, uh, he tells the story of he and his wife, uh, uh, Jen, Uh, they were uh, flying to Cozumel when a, a fire broke out in the cockpit. Oh my goodness, right? Like I'm in a plane. He said the, um, uh, the flight attendants came, one of the flight attendants came running past, uh, yelling, brace, brace, brace. And they were going crazy. And uh, I guess the a woman in the, in the uh, chairs in front of him, uh, she fainted and her, and her husband slapping her face to try to get her to come too. Don't do that. Don't do that, husbands, okay? Um, and, uh, and Rob says, you know, I, I, I had a moment and I turned to my wife, Jen, and he'd been reading a book. I turned to my wife, Jen, and she says, if, if we die, uh, it's been a really good life with you. I love you. And then he returned to reading his book. Now, he, say, he goes on to say, just to be clear, uh, we landed safely. Uh, the uh, flight attendants all had to be taken to the hospital because you know, of the, the panic, the stress of the whole ordeal. But the story reminds me uh, of just this question, what do we do in the face of crisis? Um, how is it we respond? How is it we react? Um, and and the, the short answer is that for any of us who know Jesus, um, surviving any crisis has to start with having deep roots in eternity. Like not just in the present, but deep roots in eternity. I mean, physical death, after all, uh, is not our greatest threat if you're a follower of Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death or that you do not grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. And he writes that because Jesus has triumphed over death. Uh, It it no longer is our master. Uh, Jesus conquered sin and the grave, uh, all the implications of sin. and, And we have an eternal hope. Uh, the challenge, of course, is how do we sink our roots deep into that truth? How do we sink our, our roots deeply into that reality so that when fears come against us, it doesn't just topple us over? Deep roots, growing growing deep into a confidence in God and his eternal purposes for us. Uh, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah spoke on behalf of God to ancient Judah, as they faced an enormous national crisis. And here's what's written in Jeremiah chapter 17. This is what the Lord says. "'Cursed is the one who trusts in man, "'who draws strength from mere flesh, "'and whose heart turns away from the Lord. "'That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. "'They will not see prosperity when it comes.' They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Jeremiah is describing a sure hope that we can be those who have a calm and steady voice of peace in the midst of a time of crisis. Now, perhaps that is all just theory to you and you say, nice idea, how do I live that out? Calm and steady in the midst of what we're experiencing? Maybe you say, look, I wish you'd reminded me of that yesterday. Uh, before, I blew it so badly. Here's, here's the truth we're going to dig into this morning. Here's where we're going to dig some, some roots down uh, this morning. Uh, epic failures precede God's greatest work. Epic failures precede God's greatest work. The most epic failures of all time preceded the greatest triumph eternity had ever seen. And that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to look into this window of time again before Jesus' great victory, and we're going to lean into some failures that we observe and see the kind of victory that God brings out of these things. So I want to invite you to pray with me. And just bow your head if you would. And, and then we're going to dig into this together. The Lord Jesus, you've heard us already. You've been meeting with us as we've sung songs of worship. You, you've been stirring in our hearts as, as Pastor Craig has, has prayed for us and interceded on our behalf. And now we come and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would enliven your word. That, that you would quicken it to our hearts that we would see and understand and and find your encouragement together. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We're in this series we've been calling 2020 Vision. We've been looking to Jesus, and Matthew's been helping us paint a clearer picture of God. We're coming to see how uh, we, we're coming to see and we're coming to know God more clearly by looking at Jesus. Uh, Colossians 1 15 tells us Christ is the, in, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So we're looking to Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God. I mean, I mean if you were to have been there in that day, it would have seemed like just another ordinary guy walking the streets. Well, except that he did extraordinary things. He would have seemed like an ordinary guy doing ordinary things, except he said these deeply moving and profound things. It was like, it was like he, he, he was God incarnate with us, though he was man. He said these wise things, like if, if wisdom had legs, it was Jesus. God walking among us. And our, and our roots are going to go deep into these these truths. We're attempting to, to get a hold of truth that's going to stabilize us, keep us rooted and grounded, so that when when the winds of adversity that Jeremiah the winds of adversity that Jeremiah spoke of, when when the floods of 2013 come along, you know when the COVID drought of 2020 uh, hits us, we have no worries in a year of drought, and we never fail to bear fruit. So Matthew 26, we've been tracking along with Jesus and his disciples. It was just two Sundays ago that we were in the upper room with them, observing the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus spoke the completion of the Mosaic Covenant and the introduction to the New Covenant, the Jesus Covenant, the established in his blood covenant. Like the Old Covenant, forgiveness of sin, right, relationship with God, was established through the the, the Jewish ritual, the the Passover meal, the the sacrificial system, but it always seemed to anticipate something. It always seemed to look forward to something, and and then we become to realize that it was looking forward to Jesus. And now Jesus was there. He was in the upper room. He was celebrating this Passover meal, and he's, he's, he's actually exposing what was the inherent meaning that was there, infusing it with new meaning, inviting us to enter into new covenant with the father through the work of the son that we might experience the forgiveness of sin and be in, in relationship with god passover meal we looked forward to jesus so here they were in the upper room matthew 26 verse 21 if you have your bibles you want to turn to it and jesus says one of you will betray me and that was his announcement and the disciples are like well not not me like surely not me lord right all of them, all twelve of them, make this this, this statement. And in fact, he says 10, 10 verses later, he says, "Actually, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me." And Peter replied, verse thirty three. He's like, "No way, Jesus! Like, even if these other guys fall away, I will never fall away from you." And and Jesus. Him. He says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter's not letting go of this thing. He says, even if I have to die with you. I mean, Jesus, you're wrong. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Now, now I've remembered that. I had kind of forgotten this next line. And all the other disciples said the same. I'll die with you, Jesus. I'll die. What's going on there? Like, what was that about? I, mean, I think we can safely say at least this. That was an overestimation of their capacity to stay connected to God, to stay faithful. It was an overestimation of their rootedness because it was going to be a fail. Uh, Dr. Frederick Bruner, he describes kind of this broader context as the doctrine of our undependability. This isn't not to shame anybody. Like, this isn't to, it's not to humiliate you. I mean, maybe you want to claim that your story is different. I'm telling you, this is what Scripture is saying about their story, and I'm telling you this is my story too. We, We must have an honest assessment of ourselves and our situation if we're going to have any hope of surviving in a time of crisis. Now, here was the hope. Yes, we're describing, we're looking at epic failures, but epic failures precede God's greatest work. So follow along, if you will. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start at verse 57. Last week, Pastor Craig took us through the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' instruction look up. Uh, To the Father, lean in to one another, uh, lean out on mission. And then Jesus was arrested. He was betrayed by the kiss of one who said, whom Jesus called friend. And we come to verse 27, 26, uh, all the disciples deserted him and fled. 57, then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. And finally, two men came along who declared, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, You have said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Blasphemy, why do we need other witnesses? You've all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists, and some slapped him, jeering, prophesy to us, you Messiah, who hit you that time? Meanwhile, meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said later out by the gate another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around this man was with jesus of nazareth again peter denied it this time with an oath i don't even know the man he said a little later some of the other bystanders came over to peter and said you must be one of them we can tell by your galilean accent and peter swore a curse on me if i'm lying i don't know the man and immediately the rooster crowed. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away and wept bitterly. That's the word of the Lord to us this morning. Lord, Lord just help us understand. Help us apply uh, your truths. Help us grow deep roots into you, we ask in, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we've kind of observed overestimations of self. The disciples certainly were overly confident in what they were going to be able to face. That was their story. There's a similar thing going on with these Jewish leaders. They're attempting to interrogate Jesus here. Here's their story. They had come to believe that they were utterly in the right. They were keepers of the law of Moses. They were managers of the temple. Oh, they were commissioned by God. Uh, uh, but but Matthew has been demonstrating, as we've been reading through his gospel, they were they, they, these were blind convictions. Uh, they, were, they were men who were dead wrong. You know that? You, you can, there are times when you can be like dead wrong. Uh, there are times when you can be dead right. That's when you take truth and something that's right and you use it in a deadly way. Uh, here they were just wrong. Uh, it, They had convinced themselves that the end justifies the means. So so we need to protect ourselves and the people. That was the end. The the means were we're going to ignore everything that God says uh, about about truth, about principle, about honor, about character, and we're just going to get her done. The means, the the end is going to justify the means and so here they were they were gathered in the middle of the night now that was unorthodox at the least if it was not illegal in that day verse 50 59 inside the leading priests the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about jesus so they could put him to death well i mean that's illegal today getting witnesses to lie on the stand it was illegal then too I mean, the law of Moses was serious about truthfulness, demanding truthfulness, desiring that that safeguards would be put in place in the case of of ensuring a fair trial. And then verse 60 says, finally, two men came forward who declared, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Well, it's kind of slightly less illegal if there's such a thing. It's a half-truth. Um, that just enough truth in the lie to make it believable so, so Jesus, Jesus actually said, Gospel of John chapter two, destroy the temple, and I will raise it up in three days so in other words he wasn 't saying i 'm going to or anything like that half truth half truths are dangerous things i don 't know if you 've thought about this very often, but we 're surrounded we 're surrounded by, by half truths uh, and, and they often sound Kind of convincing. Like there's just enough truth in them. So, so for instance, be true to yourself. Well, that's, a, that's a pretty good one, isn't it? Right? Or, or um, follow your heart. Uh, uh, how, how about this one? Um, follow your dreams. So, so let's just kind of test those, those truths. I mean, they, they, we see them everywhere against what scripture would say. So what if your dreams are not God's dreams? Or what if your dreams are actually going in a, a godless direction? Should you be following them And then? Okay, so half truth. Um, what, about, what about the idea of following your heart? Uh, can, I, can I trust my heart? Uh, Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah the prophet, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm testing kind of this truism, this parable, this um, proverb, better said, against, against Scripture. And, and, and so then we come down to this, this idea of be true to yourself. Well, well, there's some self-examination going on here in the text. Uh, Matthew's inviting us to examine what the, the hearts of the disciples, the, the statements of what they're going to do, and are they able to follow through. Uh, Jesus is inviting us to examine uh, the heart of, of Peter, the heart of these Jewish leaders, and, and, and we're encountering this doctrine of our undependability. You see, if, if I have a false analysis of my rootedness, it's going to lead me to a place of peril. In a time of crisis, the winds are going to blow and the roots are going to be inadequate. Neither the disciples nor the Jewish leaders were attending to like dire warnings in the pages of the Old Testament Scriptures. Like warnings like Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride comes before disaster and arrogance before a fall. Biblical warnings, like the the psalmist writes in Psalm 51 as the psalmist speaks for God. You, God, want truth in the most hidden places. You teach me wisdom in the most secret space. Help me, Lord. That's what I long for. That's what I long for right here in the depths of my heart and being. Now watch this. Matthew 26, verse 63. Then the high priest said to Jesus, I demand of the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, now Jesus here was quoting Old Testament. He, he was quoting uh, Psalm 110, verse 1. And Daniel chapter 7, and it was not lost on the high priest as to what was going on and what Jesus was actually claiming. Now, irony, suddenly the high priest is interested in truth. Tell us what's true. He's calling on Jesus. So so we've got this overestimation of self. The disciples, it's gotten the disciples into trouble. It's been tripping up the Jewish leaders as we've been reading through Matthew's retelling of all of these events. And these are epic failures for these men. Can you can you relate? Uh, I mean, do you ever catch yourself and, and just like, oh my goodness, where did that thought come from? Um, uh, did you ever do you ever catch yourself and say like, where did that blast of temper come from? Uh, or, or 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 have you ever caught yourself and said, how have I ended up in this pit of despair? Why am I wallowing and? Or maybe you catch yourself and it's that word that you spoke, or it was that string of words that ought never have been spoken, and say, Well, where did that come from or maybe it's it's the attitude easily noticed in others, not so easily noticed in myself but 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 that attitude that becomes a festering bitterness uh, b- because because I didn't do what Paul tells me to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Is that a godly thought? No, I'm going to bring it captive. I want to be rooted in Scripture. I want to be rooted in who Jesus is. I want to be rooted in who God is. I'm going to take these, these spurious thoughts and I'm going to bring them back and say, oh, wait a minute, is that truth? I, I, want to, I want to capture that in this moment and I want to test it. And if it's not, I'm going to correct it. And we review these, these events uh, in these days, this day preceding Jesus' trial, uh, ex- execution. There's, there's tons of examples here. A- and the examples tip in this direction. These people that we're looking at, they keep giving in to fear. I mean, the disciples, uh, they ran in fear when the guards came to arrest Jesus, Jesus. Um, that was their story. The Jewish leaders, they, they've been afraid of losing power. Matthew's been tracking with this as we've been reading through. They've been afraid that Rome was going to come in and, and, and just kind of clobber them, take them out of their seats of power if they didn't act decisively, if they didn't act w- with, with deadly force against Jesus. Fear. Fear's there. The disciples, the Jewish leaders. Matthew gives us a very personal view of fear as it's playing out in Peter's life here in these next verses. He gives ground to fear. Verse 69, Matthew 26. Meanwhile, okay, so the first section is this scene, this, this shot that he shows us in Caiaphas' house in the courtyard as this kangaroo court trial's going on as they're, they're, they're trying to corral Jesus because their goal is to kill him, to execute him. One scene. Meanwhile, outside the gate, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, verse 69, a servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. Now, Peter ran with the rest of the disciples, like all of them, you know, in uh, uh, verse 56, all of them ran. Um, but, But Peter and John seemed to have kind of gotten a hold of their fear, at least momentarily, and, and they rerouted to follow Jesus and, and his captors to Caiaphas' home, where Jesus was, was being interrogated. So, so there's some commendability to that, right? Like maybe that's the redemption of the story, is it? Like, like Peter's going to actually do a good, he's going to do a solid for Jesus uh, and, and, and kind of turn this story around. Here he is, he's outside the gates. And, and, and maybe this is what we would expect. I mean, after those brave words that were spoken, uh, at least the two of them showed up. This far, right? Put that on your t-shirt. I showed up this far, right? <laughs> uh, meanwhile, so Matthew is contrasting something really significant here. He's, it's a stark contrast between what's going on inside with Jesus and what's going on outside with Peter. I mean, inside, Jesus was facing the most powerful men next to Caesar in that day. They were political, they were conniving, and their actions have been betraying that they have wicked hearts. These leaders, as far as the people are concerned at least, they represent God. That was their assignment, they were supposed to be doing that. We're getting a different picture in Matthew's retelling of this. Inside, Jesus is facing the Sanhedrin, this leadership group of Jewish leaders. Outside, Peter was being questioned by a servant girl. Like, like she was probably a slave. She certainly had no power. Uh, We don't even really know why she bothered asking the question in the first place. I mean, inside, liars were interrogating uh, the the truth teller. Outside, just an honest question uh, resulted in denial and hostility. Uh, Inside, the Messiah, the word means savior... Was, was declaring his heavenly standing and authority before those who thought they had a standing authority outside the best of us. Peter, like the leader of the disciples, the first among equals there. Peter, he, he's demonstrating the doctrine of our, of our undependability. You can count on me, Lord. Um, well, maybe not. You know, wait, just hold on there for a minute. And this is not to shame us it's not to humiliate you or me. I mean, maybe maybe you're convinced your story's different. This is my story. My story parallels Peter's story and the disciples' story. And unless we get an honest assessment of what's really going on in our hearts, what's really going on in the depths of our beings, we're not going to survive when we hit a time of crisis. We're going to have made a false assessment of our own stability and our own strength. Overestimating who we are Overrepresenting who we can be or should be or ought to be to others. I mean, it leads to a place of, of enormous vulnerability. Sin is crouching at the door waiting to have you. Now, sin, sin may not have you yet. But Peter gave ground to fear. And he ended up disowning the one that he had professed to love. Epic failure, right? I mean, how is it that we fall in, in times of crisis? Well, we overestimate ourselves, like, like we, we slip into pride rather than humility. Uh, we, we overestimate our, our rootedness and how stable we think we can be and are. Um, and, and it's a dangerous place to be. Secondly, we give ground to fear. We begin responding from that place of fear rather than a place of, of trust and confidence in the one who's in, in charge. And, 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 and all of a sudden we realize we have, we've forgotten so many things that we, we thought we knew. In this case, it was, it was literally the words of Jesus. This is Peter's story, okay? Forgetting the words of Jesus. Verse 74, Matthew 26, Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows you will deny 3 times that you even know me. Epic failure, right? Is there any hope? Is there any hope in the face of such uh, of such disappointments? Uh, like, like surely Peter disappointed himself. Uh, he'd made some pretty boastful claims in front of others. Surely he was disappointing them. Uh, Without question, he disappointed Jesus, although Jesus knew. Disappointed God. We get to read on the story. Many of you have read ahead. <laughs> like we know, like epic failures, this epic failure preceded God's greatest work. And if you find yourself in a place where you've disappointed yourself, maybe you've disappointed the people around you, you've got a deep sense that you've disappointed God. Hang in there. Hang in there. God's not done with you yet. But you have some decisions, some critical decisions to make at this juncture. There's an opportunity being given to you here. It's a powerful opportunity to grow. You see, I begin to see myself more clearly in the mirror of my failures. And when I see myself in, in, in my poverty In my brokenness, I begin to see, the invitation is there to begin to see Jesus and his greatness and his strength and his majesty. You see, Jesus is the only one here who hasn't failed. He's the only one who did what he said he was going to do. And here we are in a a climate that none of us have ever experienced before. I mean, we're in the middle of a, a global health crisis, we're in the middle of an, econo- an international economic crisis. And, and you know what? If we come out of this thing with a greater sense of having been rooted in God, having turned to Jesus, having grown in our dependency, and our rootedness in Him, in the, in the face of this storm, it'll all have been worthwhile. Because epic failures precede God's greatest works but there's some decisions we need to make in the face of the storm. I, rather than being self-sufficient, I need to increasingly become God-sufficient. And he needs to be my sufficiency, the one that I look to for, as my hope, as my help. Like Jesus, enough, enough for me. Like I, I will love him, so I will obey him. I will love him, so I will trust him and his love for me, that indeed he's at work in all things according to his purposes for me, even in perilous times. And you know what? I say these words, and I hear Peter. Like, like, I, like I know, like I'm going to love him. I'm going to speak. I, um, Friday, the, the federal government made some significant financial announcements. Uh, I caught myself in a moment saying, oh, good, oh, good, the government's going to take care of me. (laughs) No, no, the, the government will not take care of you. God will take care of you. Terry, God will take care of you, not the government. I mean, he may work through the government, he may work it through all kinds of wonderful and extraordinary means, uh, but, but remember, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. So my, my confidence has to be rightly placed. I've got to be looking to Jesus, even in those moments where I'm like, oh good, somebody's going to take care of me. No, God wants to take care of me. I'm going to keep my eyes looking to him. How do I do that? I, I'm, so, some of you, A number of you, actually, have answered the the, the recent calls to prayer and fasting that took place. Some of you uh, were praying and fasting with me, with others in in our denomination. Uh, Dr. David Hearn, Wednesday, uh, called us to prayer and fasting as a denomination in our nation. Um, Wednesday, some of us Thursday... um, There were a good number of you that were online yesterday when the uh, National House of Prayer out of Ottawa called for a day of prayer and fasting across the nation. And in time zones from the Atlantic moving through Quebec into Ontario and across the prairies to BC, over the course of the day, there was 750 to 1,250, I was in and out throughout the day, uh, people, like constantly praying throughout the day, together across denominational lines, just, just seeking Jesus on behalf of our nation. What do we do if we're going to be rooted and anchored? Well, we're going to go to Scripture, and we're going to go to Jesus in prayer. And there's some beautiful things coming out of this crisis. Some of you maybe will join with the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, who have called today for a national day of prayer, joining with a global day of prayer. So, so do you get the idea? Like, the invitation is to pray. The invitation is to go deep in, in, in Jesus. They add the word fasting to that. What does it mean to fast? I mean, it means to, to give up something. Often, you know, we're in the season of Lent. Maybe if it's giving up, they're talking about fasting in a day. They're talking about giving up meals. Here's what happens. If I, if I engage in the, in the discipline of fasting, I am I'm subordinating, I'm, I'm putting subordinate to uh, something else, my most basic need, which is food. And for a few hours, maybe a meal, maybe a day, I, I'm going to subordinate that need to my desire to pursue God. And I'm going to ask that he does an extraordinary work in me, that he attunes my heart to him, that he makes me more persistent throughout the day as I would pray and seek him. And, and several things happen in me when I deny myself this most basic human need, like just for this little period of time, not being silly about it, but nothing else should ever do- dominate me. I, I'm a master of my bo- most basic appetites. And so when I... When, When I learn to deny my appetites by placing them second to my pursuit of God, I'm in a place of humility that God can start to use. As long as I don't get proud about how spiritual I'm being, right? I'm in a place where God can begin to do a work in me of growing me deeper into God. That work started with a wake up call for Peter. But Peter's wake up call was a rooster. like it was like hello and suddenly Peter remembered I believe it's highly likely for you and I that that our wake-up call has been a virus like this little thing you can't see that has humbled the entire globe and the opportunity in it is that God would say will you come back to me Will you recognize that you are not all-knowing? Stop your self-sufficiency. Will you come back to me not operating out of fear, but responding to my love because I want to be in relationship with you? Here's what I believe God's saying to us in this day, and this hour. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13. When I, God's speaking, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence, It's another word for disease. Send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from these wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. When Peter heard the rooster crow, he remembered the words of Jesus and he wept bitterly. We'll eventually learn that that weeping was a weeping of repentance. What will your rooster crow moment be? Is this enough? I have a friend whose rooster crow moment was when his wife met his mistress. And the two put two and two together, and it made for some very uncomfortable math. What will your rooster crow moment be? I have another friend who was telling me this week, his rooster crow moment, he literally had a revolver in his mouth with the hammer cocked, and he heard God say, what are you doing? He says, like a fool, I dropped the gun, still cocked on the floor. It didn't go off. I began to weep bitterly before my God. How did I lose sight? How did I forget the words of Jesus? How did I get to a place where I was so desperate that I was despairing? How did I get to a place where, where, where these things are, are going on in my mind, and, and I've not taken these thoughts captive The beautiful thing is that rooster crow moments mean it's not too late. That's the story we've been following. It wasn't too late for the disciples, except one. He made some bad choices. We're going to look at that next week. It was not too late. And in the midst of your crisis, you know, whether it's a fire in the cockpit and everybody's going freaking out whatever the circumstance or the situation is for you, you need to make some decisions about what you will do in the face of crisis. Do you remember little faith? If you've been with us for for months, you'll you'll remember. Matthew introduces us to little faith earlier in his gospel. Uh, And and we don't want to be no faith, but we'd much rather be great faith. Matthew contrasts these three responses we want to be great faith, but God can work with little faith. And one of the ways they'll work with it is in, in moments of decision like these, as we face crisis. Oh, let's not overestimate ourselves. Let's, be, let's, let's lean into God, lean up into God. Let, let's lean into one another to help us grow in God. Let's Let's continue to lean out on mission. Let's give no ground to fear. Could could, could we resolve that? And and let's continue to hear the words of Jesus. What what are you most securely rooted in? It's being called into question here and now. Your fears may betray that. If you're you're most rooted in anything but Jesus, it's time to, to confess it as sin And to repent and begin walking in a new way. Uh, What are you doing with your fears? Convert fear into trust. Choose to turn and and follow Jesus. Lord, I'm confessing my fear. I'm confessing it to you. And and I want to begin walking, holding the hand of Jesus. Trusting Jesus. Even in the midst of things I just don't understand. What what words will you meditate on this week? I want to invite the worship team to come. They're going to lead us in response. I want to ask that you would bow with me in prayer right where you are. And and we would just take this moment and invite God to grow us. Lord Jesus, we, we confess that we easily forget your love for us. We're agreeing with you, Lord. We're confessing that we tend to treat your words and, and obedience to you lightly. L- Lord, we confess that the world in which we live has been shaken, and we've allowed it to shake us too. And so we ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us for, 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 for looking at the world as a place of stability and security. Uh, forgive us for, for, for not tending to your words to obeying you adequately. Forgive us for forgetting how much you love us and are caring for us and are with us. Lord, these these things we we confess. And Lord, I I, I repent. I'm choosing to walk in a new way. I want to be rooted in you And I know it won't happen through my own volition, my own hard effort and intentionality. It's going to begin there, but I need you to meet me in this, to walk in a new way. Holy Spirit, that you would come and coach and prompt, indwell me and work through me. Lord, that when you call me to pray, I, I I don't fall asleep like the first century disciples I'm awake with you. I'm looking to you. Lord, I want to be rooted in you, increasingly knowing and understanding your word. That I'm not following the pattern of, of those Jewish leaders who, who see that I just forget. So, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness, the forgiveness that you offer. What extraordinary grace you give. That when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just and forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You cleanse us. You absolve me of the guilt and the shame. The guilt and the shame of my sin and you invite me to walk with you forgiven, cleansed, and whole. Would you lead us, we ask. In your name, Lord Jesus.